0: Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Ooh, I put my reading glasses on, which means I can't really see you. So we'll see, which... We'll see which I choose, the words or the people. (laughs) Probably I should choose the words. So today I want to share with you a story, a story of a woman named Mary. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, not Mary Magdalene, but Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. There are many Marys in the Bible. I have no idea why that is. In the Old Testament, I don't remember one Mary. But by the time we get to the New Testament, everybody has a sister named Mary. (laughs) Not much is told to us about this Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister. So I'm going to take all the little pieces that the Bible does tell us about her, three stories, and I'm going to use my imagination to fill in the big story. But this is not, this is not a once upon a time story. This is a Long, long time ago, in a small village far, far away, there lived a woman actually named Mary. And when I imagine Mary, she's in her early 20s. She has an older sister and brother, and their parents have passed away, and these three live together as a little sibling family taking care of each other. And in my imagination, Martha is about a year older than Mary. But she's taken on the responsibility of the household. She is always cooking and cleaning and sewing and weaving. Things that Mary would rather not be doing. Mary loves running. And singing. And watching. And playing with children and climbing trees. Above all, Mary loves learning But as a girl living in Bethany 2,000 years ago, there is not much education available to her. As a girl living in Bethany 2,000 years ago, the only things that she is supposed to learn is how to care for a home, how to care for a husband, how to care for children. And this is supposed to be her delight. But Mary, though she's not against these things, feels this desire, this Hunger for more. Her secret wish that she's never told anybody is to learn the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures. I and mean, this is, of course, impossible unless she were to marry a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, and, and he would talk to her about these things. But, and the only rabbis she knows are either already married, super-duper old, or just unsuitable. Her brother's friend, David, is on track to be a rabbi, but he has really bad breath. And he has the weirdest ears you've ever seen. They're almost like origami happening on his head. Mary's mother told her years ago that under no circumstances should her grandchildren have ears like that. So what's a girl to do? Then something extraordinary happens. Martha comes home from the market and says that Lazarus has invited a rabbi to dinner and all his disciples. The house is suddenly in chaos. Mary has to sweep the floor and wash the table down and bring in more water from the well and pick some carrots from the garden. Her sister, Martha, is the bossiest she has ever been. By the time the rabbi arrives, Mary has climbed a tree just to get a moment's peace. She watches from this hiding place, and she sees this ragtag group of people come down the street. They look like fishermen, mostly, but one guy looks pretty wealthy, and one guy looks like a fighter. Oy ve! it's a big group. No wonder Martha's been so crazy. As they get closer, she gets a good look at the rabbi's face. He's not handsome but he has the most beautiful, kind eyes she has ever seen. She's just checking out how filthy his feet are when she realized he's looking at her. He spotted her up in that tree. What's he gonna do? Yell? Laugh at her? I mean, she is a woman in her 20s up in a tree. But no, he smiles. And he has all these lovely crinkles around his eyes and his mouth when he smiles. And he does this little head jerk. Like he's asking her to follow him. Weird. Mary thinks it over for a few minutes, but decides it is her home. So she quietly slips down from the tree and joins the last few of the entourage entering into the house. The room is seriously packed. Lazarus is to find cushions for everyone and showing the men where they can get their feet washed and People look overwhelmed, and Mary feels a little guilty for not helping, but she catches the rabbi's eye again, and again he does this little (sniffs) head jerk thing, like he wants her to sit right by him on the pillow that's at his feet. His feet are clean now. Should she go? The room is filled with big men. It is testosterone soup in there. (laughs) And for her to make her way through them to take that last cushion, Oh, she's sure her brother was hoping it could be his seat. Oh, wouldn't that just make Lazarus so mad? <laughs> Mary remembers how he took the last dessert yesterday. And now he's joined Martha in ordering her around all day. And she calls to mind the many times she has asked him questions about their faith, their laws, their God. And he's told her, it's none of your concern. And she steps through the Crowd and sits on that cushion. Her heart, like mine, is beating out of her chest. And when she sits, she can hardly look up at this teacher sitting in front of her. She's beginning to wonder if he's played a trick on her, if he's going to use her as a sort of example for why women shouldn't be allowed in school. What has she done? How can she get out of there? But before she can move, he starts speaking. Oh, My, is this what school is like? Is this what Mary's been missing her whole life? When he speaks, it's incredible. He starts talking about the kingdom of God and it's beautiful and a little confusing, but he seems to be so confident and knowledgeable. And when he talks about God, always, always he makes God sound so loving and kind and caring. Mary is eating it. Then, Martha enters the room with some appetizers she's made, and she spots Mary. Mary watches the surprise and the anger move across Martha's face. Oh, she is in trouble. Mary starts to feel heat rising up her body. Her face must look like a beet. Martha is now doing the same head jerk that the rabbi did, but in a more obvious and angry way. Mary suddenly starts paying attention to a hangnail, that she's been avoiding for some time teacher martha says call me jesus well that takes martha a hot minute but she continues jesus can you please tell my sister to come and help me jesus looks confused martha persists don't you care that i have all this work to do and she's here where she shouldn't be oh here it comes here it comes Mary feels waves of shame rolling over her. She will never live this moment down, never. How could Martha be so cruel? She knows that Mary's been dreaming of learning her whole life, and yet how could Mary be so cruel, leaving all the work to Martha? What is Jesus gonna say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and I will not be taken from her. The room stops. What just happened? Did Jesus really just say that Mary should be able to learn? Did Jesus really just say that Mary has made the right choice sitting surrounded by these beefy men ignoring what she's been told is her duty her entire life? I mean, if there was ever a time when a rabbi was set up to wax eloquent on the duties of women in the kitchen at home, this was it. If there was ever a moment when Jesus could confirm the thousands of years of traditional gender roles, this was it. Shock is on everyone's face. The man beside Mary sucks in her breath. Someone in the back coughs. (coughs) Probably Peter. Now Martha is turning beet red. But Jesus is looking at her with such compassion and kindness. He takes one of those stuffed olives off her tray and pops it in his mouth. Mmm. He grabs a handful and shoves them in his mouth. It's obscene. There's oil all down his face. But he's chewing and he's smiling and he looks up into Martha's now laughing eyes and says, Do you wish us? It's been many months since Jesus was at Mary's house. They keep hearing stories about him in the marketplace that he's been healing people like crazy. I mean, crazy. (laughs) A man who was crippled at birth, her neighbor Joshua said the guy's legs was, they were literally like backwards. And then he was running and jumping, (laughs) yeah. And Jesus, Jesus healed a group of people with leprosy and a guy who was blind from birth. It's, that's crazy, right? Okay, and Mary's cousin, whose best friend's brother lives in Nain, told him that Jesus raised a boy back to life after he died. Yeah, supposedly his mother was a widow, so she would have been totally destitute, because she can't work, without a son. And Jesus walks up to the funeral procession, talks to the boy, and he sat up at his own funeral. He sat up! Alive! Can you believe that? That's crazy! Mary collects these stories like other women collect jewelry. She hears them, and she stares at them for hours, thinking of all the implications, thinking of how each person in the story must feel to be healed, to be resurrected. If Mary had been taught how to write, she would write these stories down. And even though since Jesus visited, Lazarus has been answering more of her questions, he has never offered to teach her that to write, what a privilege. Every night after dinner, her and her siblings talk about the latest stories, the debates happening in the streets, the debates happening in the synagogues. Obviously, something is happening, it's so exciting. Something new is taking place, like like water in a desert. Lazarus and Martha and Mary feel different. They are excited and joyful, and are caring for each other and loving each other in new ways. It's the best life has been since their parents died. But then one day, Lazarus returns from work with a really bad headache. He lies in a dark room for days, hardly eating, only taking little sips of water. By day three, he is screaming in the night, just in agony and so much pain. Mary is sent to the doctor's home, but is told that there's nothing to be done. Please, she begs the doctor, please, we can pay whatever you need. My parents left us something precious that we can sell. But the doctor answers that there's nothing to buy. There's nothing to do but wait. But no, Mary decides, no, there is something. There's someone, Jesus. She could ask Jesus to come. Mary goes to David's house. You remember David with the ears Lazarus's Lazarus' friend? She goes to David's house and she pleads with him, please, please run, please find Jesus. Tell him, tell him that his friend Lazarus is sick. And off he goes. He's a good man. Mary takes a deep breath. Okay, okay, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus is going to come. He's going to heal Lazarus. Everything is going to be okay. But Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't come. And days later, Mary goes into Lazarus's room to bring him some water, and she finds Martha weeping, lying on the bed beside her brother, the still, silent body of her brother. Shock and grief overtake her. She sits on the floor and does not move again for hours. What will they do? What will they do? Neither Mary or Martha have any prospects for marriage. When they were teenagers, the age when all their friends were marrying, Martha was too busy taking care of their sick parents, and Mary was too wild. She was always running and climbing and swimming, too smart, too unorthodox for anybody to consider marrying her. When she finally snaps out of her shock, she finds herself on the floor holding a bottle of perfume. The bottle of perfume. So costly worth a year's wages, an heirloom, a nest egg, a dowry, a safety net left to them by their parents for after they died. They've never had to sell it. Lazarus has always found work or they'd somehow scraped by. Thank God, they have this perfume. Mary is clutching it to her like a life raft. Thank God they have this perfume. It will save them from destitution. Maybe Mary can find someone to marry. Maybe David will marry her. Who cares about his ears? All she needs is a little time, and this perfume will give it to her. One year. One year where they won't starve. One year to make a plan. Her life, her dreams, her happiness, everything has been broken and poured out sucked dry by the death of her brother why didn't jesus come why didn't he love them enough to come they bury lazarus right away in the same tomb as their parents a cave just big enough for their bodies to lay side by side mary couldn't go in she couldn't see what was left and the stone was rolled in front of the entrance A stone, unmovable, And her life was in that cave. Her comfort, her security, her future. The stone has been rolled over Mary's life, and there's no way out that she can see. Four days later, Mary is grinding wheat. She needs to help out more. Martha needs her, plus she needs to start showing the neighbors that she knows how to keep a house. Friends and distant relations are still coming daily, to cry and comfort, to talk, to care, to just sit. But Mary is sick of sitting. She has to do something, so she is grinding wheat. Martha rushes in. Her eyes are wild. Her cheeks are pink. Her hair is crazy. What is it? Mary asks. The teacher, the teacher, he's here. Jesus, he's asking for you. Mary runs Her legs are pumping and the wind is whipping her face and she feels a little bit of hope blooming inside her. She can hear people behind her also running, trying to keep up, always attentive, always curious. And she finally spots Jesus and she falls at his feet, heaving and crying and grasping at his ankles. All the grief and questions are roiling within her and she gasps out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's crying uncontrollably now. And her fellow mourners are joining her. Lazarus was such a good man. He was so young and kind and healthy. Everyone is deeply moved. And it seems Jesus is too. His voice is rough and pained when he asks where the tomb is. Mary's cousin comes and helps her up as the crowd moves towards the burial site. They haven't even arrived yet when Jesus starts crying. I mean, he's not just tearing up. He is He's stopped walking. He's bent over, hands on his knees. He is blubbery and loud. And everyone around starts saying, wow, he must have really loved this guy. But others are voicing that dark thing that's deep inside Mary. If he loved him, why didn't he come? Couldn't he have healed him? He healed that boy that was blind from birth. Couldn't he have healed him? Why didn't he come? Mary is tearing in two. One half of her is so moved by the weeping of Jesus. The other is so angry that he's just standing there crying. Please stop crying, she thinks. Just fix this. Jesus looks up. He looks right into her eyes and nods his head. Off they go. They keep moving, finally making it to the tomb. There's a the stone. It is huge. It is unmovable like death. Jesus starts crying again. The tears are streaming down his face, soaking his beard. But finally, he pulls himself together and says, take away the stone. No one moves. There's just the sound of sniffling and incredulity, gasps and mumbling. And finally, Martha steps out from the crowd, practical, competent, responsible Martha. Where does she find the strength to speak? She approaches Jesus like he's a wild animal. Slowly, cautiously, but Lord, she says, he's been in there for four days. Four days. By now, the smell will be horrible. Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus walks up to the stone and he starts pushing. Mary can see a number of people are stepping back. A couple are running away. Some of Jesus' disciples are pushing now, too, especially those big fishermen, and the stone is moving. Mary takes a deep breath and holds it in. Her whole life feels suspended. She remembers some of the things that Jesus taught her while she sat at his feet. She remembers the father he talked about, this God who was so kind and compassionate. And loving, and she feels like every moment she has ever lived, all the time she has run and climbed and swam, all the dreams in her head and her heart, everything is converging on this moment. Is God real? Can God be trusted? Can Mary trust a God who obviously did not listen to her cries for help? Does He even? Hear her. Jesus is speaking, looking up at the sky, and Mary looks up too. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Mary looks at Jesus and he is staring right into her eyes. Lazarus, he yells, come out. Mary can't look. She can't watch. She just keeps staring into those beautiful eyes until she hears the gasping and the screaming and there there's a man climbing out of the cave he's climbing out of the tomb he's wrapped in the cloth that Martha so lovingly prepared for him he smells like the myrrh that the cloths were soaked in it's Lazarus he's alive he's alive take off the grave clothes Jesus says and let him go Living with an older brother, who's been raised from the dead, is a little strange. Oh, don't get me wrong, it's incredible and amazing and wonderful, but it's a little strange. After Lazarus walked out of that tomb and had a bath, he spent a long time talking to Jesus in the backyard. She could hear them laughing from inside the house. And man, it was so tempting to eavesdrop. But Jesus said, give him some privacy, so she doesn't know what they said. Anyways, ever since then, there have been a few major differences in Lazarus. First, he has enough work to last for years, since everyone wants the miracle man to do the job. But he doesn't seem to care. He goes to work, he puts in his hours, and then he comes home. There's nothing frantic or anxious about him anymore. And Mary doesn't think it's just because his business is going so well. The business seems to have very little to do with it. He just moves in this calm manner, so different from pre-death Lazarus, always stressing over the next meal, working late, running from this to that. Resurrected Lazarus seems like he's always got time to spare for a chat or to notice a bird or to play football. It's strange. And second, he seems to laugh a lot. I mean, a lot. Martha gets upset about something. He just laughs and tells her not to worry. Mary climbs a tree. He just laughs and climbs up there with her. The door broke. Literally, the hinges snapped off the other day, and he laughed and said, looks like we've got another window. It's weird. (laughs) And Mary loves it. She loves Lazarus fiercely. She can't get enough time with him. And although he never talks about the days when he was dead, much to everyone's disappointment, he talks about everything else with her. He's teaching Mary and Martha to read and write. And they spend hours and hours talking about what he has learned about God, what God is like, what God cares about. Lazarus walking out of that tomb was a mind-blowing miracle. But the miracle keeps happening every day for Mary. Passover is coming up, and they've heard from Jesus that he's going to stop in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. So Martha's had the idea of throwing Jesus a dinner party. Oh, So Lazarus made her promise that this time she would not go overboard, and he made Mary promise that this time she would help out to the best of her abilities until Jesus arrived. So the door has been fixed, and the meal prepared, and the table scrubbed, and the floor swept, and Mary is, where do you think Mary is? Up in a tree waiting and watching. She can hear them laughing before she sees them. And sure enough, there they come. Jesus Jesus, and Lazarus laughing their heads off at something. Mary's heart balloons. She quickly goes into the house to double-check with Martha that everything's fine. And on her way into the kitchen, she sees the jar on the mantle, the jar of perfume. She picks it up and holds it in her hands, And suddenly, she's transported back to the day of Lazarus's death, the memory hitting her like a hammer in the chest. She remembers the the hope that she placed in this jar, the way she thought of it as her last and only option, her salvation. Tears start streaming down her cheeks, and she is in danger of losing it. When she hears the men entering the house behind her, Mary takes a deep breath. And turns around, and there he is, Jesus, standing in her newly fixed doorway. Their eyes catch. Jesus looks down at the jar in her hand, and he seems to take a deep breath himself. But then Lazarus is pushing in. His smile's so big, he looks like an emoji. And they're laughing, and Mary is back in the moment, in this joy and the celebration. She puts the perfume back on the mantle and welcomes the guests, making sure their feet are washed and other needs met before they recline around the table. Martha serves. Jesus speaks. Lazarus laughs. The night could not be any better. Mary is literally singing on the inside, so overwhelmed with gratitude. How can she express it? How can she show Jesus that he has done for her the most amazing, life-blowing thing for her family, for herself? What words or actions could possibly be enough? And then she sees it, the jar, and she knows what she must do, something extravagant, something ridiculously extravagant. Exactly the kind of gratitude needed. She grabs a jar and before she can talk herself out of it, she walks over to Jesus and starts pouring it on his feet. The room stops. Why is Mary always putting herself in the middle of such awkward tension? But she can't stop now. She is doing this. She is pouring out all of her false hopes, all of her weak substitutions, all of her fears and longings and plan Bs and safety nets all on Jesus. She is weeping because she doesn't know how to put this into words. She doesn't know how to express this feeling that all of her trust and her future and her purpose is here in this man. She loves him, but more than that, she worships him. He is worthy of this, of all of this. Mary is making this little humming, sorry, Martha is making this little humming sound. "Mm," And Mary realizes she's pouring Martha's safety net out as well. But Mary knows this is the right expression of thanks. She is pouring it all. She is shaking out the last drop. Soon, a problem becomes apparent. She has not brought a towel, and the perfume is spreading on the floor, on the bottom of Jesus' robe. The smell is enormous. It's like a wall of aroma moving through the house, moving out of the windows. This is getting out of hand. Quickly, she bends down and starts to wipe it up, with the only thing she has, her hair, her long Hair. She wipes his feet with her hair and can feel and hear the displeasure and judgment coming off some of the disciples around her. This is really too much. Someone speaks. His voice is pinched and angry. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Mary starts shaking inside. She starts to question herself Would that have been a better sacrifice? A better way to honor Jesus? Should she have given it to the poor? Has she made a horrible mistake? But then Jesus speaks so gently and kindly. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What? No. No, Jesus must be confused. No, the perfume was meant for the day of Lazarus' burial. That must be what he means. But Mary can't get these words out of her head, and she can't get the smell out of her hair. The smell wafts around her for weeks. She smells it when she joins the procession of people, shouting and singing and praising as Jesus enters Jerusalem the next day. She smells it later that week when she hears that Jesus has been arrested. She smells it as she stands on a hillside with other women, watching him be crucified, weeping as though she could die of death and pain and suffering herself. She smells it all the next day, Saturday, and wants to rip her hair from her head or cut it off. But such work would be wrong on the Sabbath. And she smells it, She smells this beautiful fragrance when she hears the rumors that Jesus is alive, that he has been resurrected. And lately, I've been wondering, could Jesus smell it too? When he went through all the agonies of that week, could he smell this beautiful act of extravagant worship? Let's pray. Jesus, what can we offer you? What can we pour at your feet? How can we thank you for all that you have done for us? You have taught us the beauty of your ways. You have shown us how kind and compassionate the Father is. You have been a friend to us. You have healed us. For some of us, you've healed our sickness and disease. For all of us, you are healing the brokenness in our own hearts and minds. You have resurrected us from lives bent on selfishness and decay. You have made us new and called us brothers and sisters. Jesus, what can we offer you? We will give you the only thing we have to give, which has all been given to us by you in the first place. We give you back our lives, our hearts, our obedience, our devotion, our love, our worship. Amen.